Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Uh, who we are, you can say morena, because it's a special Sunday, yeah? Who knows what this weekend is? It's Matariki. Hopefully you already knew that if you had Friday off. Otherwise, you were the only one in the office, and you were wondering why. Like, why is no one else here? You missed the public holiday, so uh, better luck next year. But uh, I want to say a, a very warm welcome. And, and as a church, I, I think we're really excited to celebrate Matariki this Sunday. It's not a Sunday that we kind of just want to go by, because I think there's something in Matariki that, that actually in a really special and perhaps a profound way draws together where we are at the moment as a church. Yeah, for the last couple of weeks and, and for the next couple of weeks, we've been in a series called It's a Group Thing. Yeah, anyone remember that? It's good, because it was just last week, right? We talk about the fact that, that we don't follow Jesus, we follow Jesus for ourselves, but we don't follow Jesus on our own, right? That, that following Jesus is something that we do in community, not just that community supports us in doing it, but that in loving our community and pouring ourselves out as an offering of love to each other, but really to Jesus through each other, that we follow Jesus, and that following Jesus is something more than just a set of beliefs, but it's embracing a way of being, a way of living, a way of, 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 of life. And, and then at the end of the month, we're going to be taking up our, our miracle offering, which is something that we do every year where we say, hey, we believe in tithing, we believe in, in worshiping God with our, our resources, with our time, with our talents, with our energies, with our prayers, but, but also we want to create a space of, of stretch once a year. We say, hey, if, if you've got a generosity in you which, which overflows, if you've got a faith in you, say, hey, I want to give something beyond just a tithe. I want to express something of my generosity into the house of who we are, that we would be, in, in not just words, but in actions, a house of prayer for all nations. We take up our miracle offering. It's from that that we, we support and enable things like Christians Against Poverty. It's, it's, it's from that that we, we use to stretch out and to impact, to bless our community. I think, what, what does that have to, like, how do those two things go together? Well, I love Matariki as a moment in the year where we pause and we remember that we are a community. We remember that we are together, but also one of the most profound things about Matariki is this moment of reflection on, hey, what are we sowing? Quite literally in, in, in history in our, in our nation, it was a time to, to collect in the crops and to plant in the winter for the crops that were going to come in the spring, to take in what we had and say, hey, what are we going to eat and what are we going to use as, as seed crop to sow into the new year? And I think for us, there's something special in the meeting of those two things to say, hey, we are a community. We follow Jesus together. And part of that is we sow together. We dream together. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at, at Matariki, but I imagine for, for many of us, there's a range of understandings of what Matariki is in the room today. And, and I could try and explain that, but uh, I thought better than me explaining it, I'd, I'd show you a video from the Wilberforce Foundation uh, from a, a lady, Lorinda Periata, describing Matariki a little bit. Is that all right? It's good. Why don't you turn your eyes to the screen then, uh, and we will let Lorinda explain it better than I can. Thank you. 
Matsuriki, to me, is a point in time where our people come together and they set aside a spiritual space to reset, to look forward and to navigate what the next year may look like, to reflect on what the year that has been and to plan strategically how to thrive on our whenua here in Aotearoa. Mō mātou ki te haukainga ki hokianga, um, Matariki actually begins, it's a season, it's, it's almost the whole month um, of celebration that starts nearing the end of May right through to July. And for us in Hokianga, which is the perspective that I bring um, in the Mātauranga that has been sown into me, um, we see puanga and it is, it's really exciting. It's an exciting time for us. Um, we're watching the moon, we're watching the stars, we know the harvest has come and we're really expectant um, as a hapu of Ngāpuhi and Te Rarua, and quite excited at the sightings of Puanga. We ceremonially practice hotapu, which is a dawn service hāngi and we come together and we actually just celebrate what we've done and what we've achieved. We share out the first crops, which for where I come from in Hokianga, it's called the pōki. And growing up, when we pōkied kumara, which means when we hangied our first hohake harvest of kumara, we would share it out to the whole community. And as a young child, I think, but they didn't help us. And as I grew older, I realised it's the community spirit, it's the hapuri celebration coming together and saying, you ploughed this up for me, uncle so-and-so, and you stored this in your pataka, auntie so-and-so, and together as a hapu, we achieved our storehouse being full for winter. So that is a great memory for me, for te puanga or te matariki. It is a time to come together and celebrate all the mahi that we've done, and to just join in with one another, love with one another, and have really good times around kai, because kai is a vehicle of love for our people. First of all would be to encounter. To encounter the supernatural essence of Christ. The supernatural imprint o te kaihanga ki runga i te whenua ki te rangi. Matariki literally means te mata ariki, to become face to face with the Lord. It is a time of deep encounters with the Lord where you get to actually reflect and say, where am I at, Lord? To get real and say, where are we heading together? Awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah, you can, you can uh, express your gratitude towards that. And, and one of the things that I take from that is I love that, that while we're celebrating Matariki today or, or Friday and, and across the re- weekend, really, we've been embracing the, the spirit of Matariki, like Lorenzo said, for, for the last month, right? That it's not just kind of like a one-off bit, but it's a, a season in, in time. Because at its heart, Matariki is, is about community. I, I hope you kind of got that from the video, that it's about gathering together to, to remember. It's gathering together to, to celebrate. It's gathering together to, to dream. And, and celebrating and, and dreaming and remembering are things that we do together. We could say that it's a, a group thing. 
right? And, and as I alluded to before the video, I, I love how things come together. It's almost as if God seems to have some sort of a plan, which hopefully we're not overly surprised by. That, like I said, is our, our theme for the miracle offering this year, in fact, is, is the idea of seed time and harvest, that there's an opportunity to consider what am I sowing into? What am I planting in my life and in the life of, of, of others, in the lives of, of those around us? And, and so what I want to do today in our time together this morning is I want to focus in on the question Lindra asked, or, or the encouragement, I suppose, to this Matariki, reflect and ask, God, where am I and where am I heading? Like, I don't, I don't just want to stumble into life without some sort of intent behind what, what am I putting into the ground? What am I sowing into my life and the lives of those around me that when it comes time to harvest, I'm pleased with what is grown? You know, and again, we'll talk about this when we come to the miracle offering. We don't do the growing. We don't develop the seed under the ground. But, but what we put into the ground is in our control. And so today, I, I really want to talk about that decision-making process. How do we choose what we plant, and how do we choose what we look after? Is that good? It's good. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 43 uh, to 45. You, you might recognize it. It says this, A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. One more time, would you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for this time that we have together. God, this matariki as we remember, as, as we draw close to you, as we look at you and remind ourselves of who you are, that you are a loving Father, that you are a good God, and that you would presence yourself with us. I pray that today these wouldn't just be uh, good ideas or, or, or nice things to think about, but that we would encounter something of who you are. That, that the risen Christ would, would indwell our time together. God, where it is my words, would they fall to the ground? But where it is of you, would it take root in our heart? And would it edify us? Would it encourage us? Would we be closer to you as a result of having come together and looked at your word today in Jesus' name? Amen. So, so one of the key principles and really what I want to focus in on today of Matariki is this idea, we'll put it up on the screen behind me, of Matariki Manako Nui which really refers to wishes and, and desires. It's one of kind of the three principles of, of Matariki. And when you hear of it, you might kind of instantly in our Western worldview think of something like a, a New Year's resolution, which is probably the most kind of comparable thing that we have, but it's not, it's not anywhere near the same thing. Right, a New Year's resolution is maybe a bit more about ideas and what sort of things do, do I hope will happen, whereas Matariki Manaku Nui is much more grounded in, in action. It's, it's more similar to kind of the Hebrew worldview where you don't think about doing something and not do it, right? That, that hearing someone tell you to do something and acting on that instruction are the same thing. Shema, it's the same word, hear and do. There's the implication, if God said to do something, then of course we're gonna do it. There's no kind of in-between of, oh, maybe I'll act or maybe I won't. I'll just think about it and hold it in this thought space for a while. Thoughts and actions are linked. If you mean to do it, you do it which is a great idea, right? But probably not our experienced reality all the time. And, and, and so Matariki and, and Matariki Manako Nui is this moment to pause and to consider as the crops have been harvested before we sow for the next season, what do we want to plant? 
right? I don't know if you've ever grown kumara. Quick show of hands. Can we grow kumara down here? I don't know. I've never tried to grow kumara in the, in the South Island. Probably better than anything that grows in Wellington clay. So we'll be having uh, better success there. But right, kumara is, is a root plant. And so again, same sort of thing. You, you plant your kumara and, and it's a seed. What, what are you going to eat and what are you going to plant? And you have to make that decision at, at harvest time. What am I going to put into the ground? What am I going to put into my belly? I want to put enough into my belly that I am full, but enough into the ground that there is enough to eat next time the harvest season comes around. And, and so the invitation, this matariki, is to, to consider where we are and to decide what are we going to do next. I, I wonder this matariki, as you take a moment to reflect on the year so far, so you look back, we're in July, it's the middle of the year. I don't know if you feel like it went quick or went slow. I know I have an opinion on that, right? What would you change going forward? Are you happy with where everything is at? Are you happy, maybe we could put it this way, with the trajectory of your character? You feel like, man, I'm, I'm more peaceful now than I was at the start of the year. I'm more assured of God's love for me now than I was. I'm more kind now. I'm, I'm becoming more and more who I feel that God has called me to be. Or, or do we stop and reflect and go, man, actually, I'm looking at, at who I'm becoming, and, and I'd like to change a few things. Maybe Matariki can be an opportunity to do exactly that, because Luke tells us that the fruit of our lives are a product of what happens inside. That the decisions that we make about what we keep in our hearts directly influence what happens in our lives. When we start to, to look at our life and maybe we start to say things like, man, I wish that wasn't there or, or I wish I was more like this. Most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, which we do not like being, we're looking at things and we're wishing to get something out of our lives that we keep on choosing to put into it. Or, or we're wishing that we had something that we're choosing not to do. Which, which isn't always the way that we like to think of life, is it? We like the idea of free will. We like the idea of, of agency. But I think in application, we really like to externalize most of our choice. And, and to do so, we use kind of a, a concept, very much a Western concept of this idea of, of fate. Right? We consider fate maybe the complete opposite of, of our choices. It's completely outside of, of our control. And, and I know that feeling of, of kind of circumstances just coming at you, of life just happening to you, but we don't, we don't actually believe in fate, or at least according to how we behave, right? If our actions reflect our true beliefs, we don't really believe in, in fate, because if we believed that everything was going to happen the way that it was going to happen, then we wouldn't get anxious, right? We, we wouldn't worry. We wouldn't kind of, we'd just be a, a, a leaf floating down the stream of life. Just like, oh, well, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's just going to, but that's not the way that I behave anyway. I, I paddle like I can make some sort of a difference, like my choices matter. And I think that they do. But I think that we do, while we don't behave like we believe in faith, we like the idea of, of fate. Right? Because our brains can't really handle uh, information that they can't label. It just deletes it. And so we take all the experiences that we can't explain or that seem too big to fit into our heads. And we just go, oh, that's, that's fate. Right, fate is something that we invent to explain the things that we can't understand or that we want to relinquish control of. And in reality, in our lives, chance is less of a factor than I think that we'd imagine. Fate doesn't really determine anything. Our lives are made of decisions, our decisions and other people's decisions. And I want to take a moment before we kind of go down this track too far to say life doesn't just happen to us, but it is important to acknowledge that while life doesn't just happen to us, there are things that happen that we cannot control. Right? I'm not saying, hey, everything that's in your life is something that you chose to, to have come into your life. I want to recognize that some things come to us by other people. And 
But, but rather maybe this matariki than throwing in our, our hands in the air and saying, hey, look, it's just fate. Sometimes bad things happen and there's nothing I can do about it. What if we looked at what we could control? Maybe we can't change some of the things that have happened to us or that have come into our lives, the experiences that we've had, but what we can determine is our response to and through them. Right, say, hey, I, I didn't make this happen. I didn't will this to happen. This isn't even my fault, maybe if it's something that causes you pain, but what I can choose is I can choose my response to it. And so maybe the question is, what can we do? Maybe turn to your neighbor and say, what can we do? Hopefully they didn't feel too hopeless. Like, oh man, what can we do? I would suggest it's, it's this. Matariki manako nui. That, that we can take time to pause, maybe even before it's time to sow, and we can decide what we'll sow. See, I think so often in life, our decisions are caught up in a moment. We're so re- reactive to the things that happen in life, aren't we? Like, it's just, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. And a thing comes at us, a situation, an opportunity, a circumstance, and we just act how we feel to act in that moment. Anyone else do that? Don't know about you. It doesn't always work out great for me. I don't always make the best decisions in the moment based on how I feel in the, the, the moment. The problem is that often we go against the best interest of ourselves and those that we love when, when we decide from a place of emotion. See, t- today I have two simple questions. The first is this, what are we planting? See, if, if we want to produce good fruit in our lives, quick, quick show of hands, who wants to produce good fruit in their lives? Just have a, okay, I'm glad, right? We're on the same page. We're going for the same thing. I just wanted to be clear. It would have been awkward. We'd change the sermon entirely. Uh, if it, no, I don't want good fruit at all. I'm quite happy with the rotten fruit, right? If we want good fruit in our lives then, Luke tells us that, that what happens when we produce good fruit, that, sorry, that this happens, we produce good fruit, when what is in us flows out. And, and, and so I think we need to be mindful of what we are planting in our lives. Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 3 puts it this way, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. And we can read something like that and be like, well, what does that mean? I think we can misinterpret it as like, well, tell God what you want to do and he'll rubber stamp it. Like send your plans up to God and he'll be like, yep, checks out. You like that sound effect of the microphone? I oh, know it's advanced speaking techniques. Right, like, oh, here, God, this is what I'm planning, this is what I want to do, and often that's kind of the, 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 the feeling that I get from New Year's resolutions, right? Like, God, this is the thing that I'm going to make happen this year, and is it all good by you? Yep, it's not outright sin, I don't think. Cool, forging ahead, let's do it. Right, but, but commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans, doesn't mean just get God to rubber stamp your ideas. Instead, I think it implies what would it look like if we took our intentions to God and we would plan with Him? To, to prayerfully consider, man, how do I want to, to behave? What decisions do I want to sow into my life so that when it comes time to make a decision, I will reap the fruit that I want to? A- another way we could talk about this idea of what are we planting is to think of the concept of pre-deciding. Let, let, let me give you a, an, an, an illustration, an example of this from Scripture. In the Old Testament, we read of Daniel. The context of Daniel is, is that Judah, the nation of Judah, was defeated by the Babylonians. And, and a part of kind of the Babylonian empire-building strategy was to take hostages. And so they took as hostages the sons of influential Judeans, both as a threat of like, hey, just remember, behave, we have your sons. Right? I won't elucidate any more on that. I think we get kind of the implication of what might happen there. There are some children in the room today. But behave, we have your sons. Like, you got it? Yeah. I was going to explain it more in a way that I just said I wasn't going to, right? But hey, we've got your sons. But also, 
as a way of indoctrinating those sons. Like, hey, while we've got them, while we're holding them as ransom, while we're holding them as hostages, we, we want to teach the younger next generation of an enemy people to become pro-Babylonian. Learn the Babylonian ways, understand Babylonian culture, actually come to think being a Babylonian is better than being whatever they were taken from. And so Daniel is, is one of these hostages. And he's told, you're going to be educated as we are. You're going to eat as we are. You'll become Babylonian. But, but Daniel knows Torah. And, and, and so Daniel knows that he doesn't want to eat the food that they'd have him eat. He doesn't want to become a Babylonian because he is a Jewish person. He is a Jew. He is set apart. He has a special relationship with God. God has him there to do something in that nation and in the nations. And so he says, I don't want to live in a way that would dishonor God. Daniel 1 verse 8 we read, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of the staff for permission not to eat those unacceptable foods. See, see we see here, Daniel was determined, right? He, he decided. He didn't wait until he was in the banquet hall and the food was in front of him and his belly was grumbling and, and the smell kind of filled his nostrils. I don't know if everyone's you know, tried to be vegetarian for a short amount of time and then some meat appears on you in front, in front of the plate and you're like, I am no longer a vegetarian. This steak is now calling my name. It was God's providence. It was fate. It was a callback. He'd already made up his mind. Right, Daniel decided, I'm honoring God above anything else. So, so when it was time to eat, he had already decided. But it goes beyond that. It's one thing to, to not eat the food that's put in front of him, to eat differently. That's a minor inconvenience. But because he had decided there, when it escalated and it came time to pray, Daniel had decided. Even as his enemies cooked up a law to entrap him, forbidding prayer to anyone but the king. But what did Daniel do? He had predecided what he was going to eat, and he had predecided who he was going to worship. And so he reaped the fruit of the decision that he'd already sown. I'm honoring God above anything else. It started with food, but it led to prayer, which led to persecution. But that persecution led to the transformation of a nation. See, because Daniel decided before. He had to decide. Daniel pre-decided. He planted a course of action in his life. See, I want to ask this Matariki, what, what decisions can we plant now? What, what are we considering? What are we planning for? What are we resolving and determining to value that, that, that we'll be glad when we reap the fruit of that decision? Maybe it's even today as we played the promo video for Shout 2024 over a year away. You could wait until like this time next year. You could wait even longer. I don't know. I'm just going to see how I feel, see how things plan out. That, that could be what you do. And there's nothing innately wrong with that. There's not a bad thing to do. But maybe instead you'll pre-decide, hey, I think a space of encounter with God, I think some days set aside to meet with God in a way that might edify me, that might transform me, that there might even be, I'll just be there and be a part of community, that we would be a people who pursue intimacy with God. I'm going to pre-decide to, to do that. I'm going to have to figure out what it looks like, and there's going to be some, some things. Maybe I'm going to have to rearrange some, some ways I'm going to have to plan. It might be a little bit inconvenient, but I'm going to plan to do a thing that I think will be good for me. It's almost like we're taking a leaf out of Daniel's book, right? I'm going to plan that I'm not going to eat that food. I'm going to plan that I'm only going to pray, and I'm going to continue to do the decision that I decided to do, even when the idea becomes a reality and it gets hard. It's easy to have an idea, isn't it? I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and go for a run, hypothetically, if someone had that idea. 
And it's great to do that for a while. And then in Christchurch, the weather becomes aggressive and traps you in your bed. And you're like, I'm trying to get out, but there's too many covers on the bed and I can't get out anymore. And I missed my run for months and months and months and months. Hypothetically, again. But, but here's the thing, right? I think sometimes we, we plant a decision. When we, when we pre-decide, we put ourselves in a place of strength, of, of preparation, and, and that's great. But no matter what we pre-decide to do, we will still live in line with our values, won't we? For example, and again, this is just hypothetical, if I was an angry person in every area of my life, if I, was, if I got mad in traffic, if I yelled at the TV, if I ranted on social media, but I pre-decide I'm going to be a real patient father, I'm not going to get mad at my kids at all when they do something at home, I'm setting myself a hard task, aren't I? Because the trajectory of my life in every other area is going one way, but I've pre-decided, hey, I want to go this way in this one specific area. There's that old adage that when we're squeezed, What's inside of us comes out. And I know that I've found that to be true, but, but if we're wanting to produce good fruit, we need to not just pre-decide, although that helps a lot, but as, as Luke says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, as we read, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, I'm fairly confident in the assumption that no one here today is like, do you know what one of my goals is in life? Evil heart. I just want to have an evil old treasury inside of me. It's just going to be amazing. Me and Darth Vader, we're going to be buddies. He was actually kind of a good guy. The Empire, the Emperor, he's a more um, you know, fitting uh, analogy for, for, I don't want to get told off by Star Wars um, fans after the service, right? None of us are intending, none of us have the goal of developing an evil heart. Of, of having poor motivations, of trying to create uh, worse things in the world. But the language of, of a treasury of a good heart is, is helpful. And for me, it reminds me of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because if all of us, you know, if we don't want to have an evil heart, then kind of by implication, we want to have a good heart. We want to treasure up good things in our heart, that good things would flow from us, that what you say flows from what is in your heart. But how do we do that? Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has this really interesting phrase that's used about her throughout the Gospel of Luke. It says that she treasured in her heart or, or that she pondered. It's translated in different ways, but the concept underneath is the same. We, we see in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, Mary is told that she's pregnant by the angel, and so she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. When the shepherds came to see baby Jesus and tell Mary the angels singing to them, it says that Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. When Mary finds Jesus as a young boy in the temple talking to the priests, it says that she treasured all these things in her heart. Mary pondered, she, she treasured. Another word we could use to go back to our, our kind of plant illustration is, is that Mary tended. So my second question today, if my first question is what are we planting? What are the decisions that we are making beforehand that we are planting in our lives? What are we choosing to sow into the soil of our lives through our decisions? Then, then my second question is, is simply this, what are we tending? 
right? Tending is a, a common image in the Bible. You're like, what does this mean? It, it, it explains it, I think, quite well. In Genesis 2, God assigns the man and the woman to tend, to look after, to nurture Eden's garden, to name animals and create culture. Abel tends the flocks in the field. Jacob tends Laban's sheets before he can marry into the family. Moses tended Jethro's herd when God appeared in the bush. David tends to the sheep before he becomes king. Aaron, the first priest, tends the tabernacle lamp where God is worshipped. Throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, there is this consistent image of, of tending. Tending quite simply means to give your attention to something, often with the implication that it's for a period of time. It's not just like, oh, that's cool, and moving on. It's an intentional and sustained focus. But by way of comparison, throughout the New Testament, we see that crowds are amazed by Jesus. Right there, they are amazed at, at his miracles, at his teachings, just amazed at how interesting that he was, which is, which is fair enough, right? I hope all of us uh, are amazed by Jesus as we encounter the risen person of Jesus. But, but many of those that were amazed by his miracles, they then wandered off to be amazed by something else. To them, Jesus was little more than, than, than an attraction, little more than entertainment, little more than something to come and see, to assess, to review, and to move on with. To them, Jesus was, was just entertainment. Something captures our attention when we're amazed. But when we intentionally give our attention to something, we tend to it when we ponder it, when we, when we treasure it. See, if, if whatever we produce comes from the treasure of our hearts, then I wanna ask, what are we pondering? What are we treasuring? What are we tending? Because that's what ends up inside of us, right? Not just the things that we find interesting, not just the things that, that we're amazed by, but the things that we intentionally focus on. See, in this modern era, it's, it's almost impossible to tend, isn't it? In fact, there's an entire academic field of, of studying our modern loss of attention. We no longer really attend to anything because we're attending to everything at once. You start having some sort of deep, meaningful thought. You've put your phone somewhere else so you're not distracted. And then what happens? Phantom vibration. Right, no. I don't even have my phone on me and I feel my phone distracting me from what's going on, right? Like I'm trying to focus on something, I put my phone somewhere else and now I'm feeling my phone vibrate and it's not physically present with me. The ghost of my phone is still with me, still distracting me. In this frenetic culture of clickbait and distraction, we give the highest bidder our attention for the payoff of, of little hits of dopamine and adrenaline. In fact, a daily economy of billions of dollars is built entirely on clicks. Nothing else just your clicks. And amazingly, this is the first economy not built on things, not on products, not on services, but built solely on the ability to grab our attention. And so how do we tend, how do we ponder, how do we store up something in our hearts where our attention is constantly robbed? As the band joins me, I'm almost done. In Exodus chapter three, we see Moses is in the desert and he's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And, and he comes across a burning bush. Now, naturally, he, he stops and he looks, right? And he says to himself, this is amazing. Why, why isn't this bush burning up? And he goes to take a closer look. And, and from the bush, God speaks and he encounters God. And this encounter leads to an entire nation being freed. We know the story, but maybe what we don't know and what I find very interesting is that in Jewish tradition, rabbis have long believed that Moses wasn't the first person to pass by the bush. 
Right? Now, I'm not saying that you know, God was trying to get a whole bunch of people's attention and then finally Moses stopped, but it's to illustrate a point that Moses was, was special because of his willingness to stop. Think about it. You're like, this, this is weird, but think about it for a moment. Think about the difference between a bush that's on fire and a bush that's on fire but not burning up. What's the difference? Hopefully it's quite apparent. You just said it. One's burning up, right? But how do you see that difference? Like if you're walking past a bush that is burning up and a bush that is burning, that is on fire but not burning up, they look the same. Both of them are on fire. The only way that you notice the difference between them is if you stop and see what is happening to the bush. What God is doing was not evident to Moses maybe in that moment of passing by, but it was in the stopping and giving his attention, intending to what God was doing in front of him that he stopped to see, he stopped to observe, he stopped for a while and he attended to it. See, what distinguishes Moses and so many other biblical characters was not just that God spoke to them, but that in the words of Jesus, they had what Jesus calls eyes to see and ears to hear. Not just that Jesus spoke to them, because in reality, I think that Jesus is speaking to all of us all of the time, but that they had the presence of mind. They had the intention, maybe they had even pre-decided, planted a behavior in their life. I'm gonna take some space to tend. I wonder just by way of a thought exercise, if Moses had an iPhone, would he have stopped? Would he have tended to the burning bush? I'm not saying let's all smash our phones, right? You can have a communal activity after the service. Bring your phone, I'll smash it. You can do that if you want to. I'm keeping my phone. It's quite helpful for some other things. But I am saying this, Matari. Let's take the opportunity to stop and to consider. What am I tending? What am I mulling over? What am I pondering? What am I treasuring? Because from the treasury of my heart, I'll produce. See, I'm done as you, as you stand to your feet with me. My invitation this Matariki is quite simple. Let's embrace the opportunity to, to choose. Maybe that starts with simply rejecting fate, with not just wishing that our lives would be different, but with regaining our autonomy, saying, hey, I've got some sort of way of, of choosing what is in my life. I can't choose what happens to me, but I can choose my response. Let's embrace the concept of Matariki Manakanui. Let's be mindful of what we're planting and maybe even more mindful of what we're tending, that we wouldn't be surprised at the fruit in our lives. One of the, the beautiful practices of Matariki is to go outside and to, to look at the stars, to take a moment to pause and to see what's always been up there, but maybe we've been missing. Maybe in the hustle and bustle of our lives that the majesty of God's creation has always been on display, but we haven't stopped to see it, to reflect to engage, maybe even to wait and to tend to it. Say, God, is there something that you're wanting to say to me in this? And so in a moment, the band's gonna lead us in a song, but before they do, I'd love just, love just for us to, to pause, to turn our attention towards God. As Lorenda said, matariki means to, to come face to face with God, to embrace the real expression of what matariki is. It's not just about stars in the sky, it's about the fact that all of creation points to a loving God, a risen God, 
a Father God who wants to know you, who wants to live a life with you. That this Matariki, we would turn our attention to Him. And so as you close your eyes, as maybe you raise your hands, whatever it looks like for you to respond, to open yourself up to God. Maybe in this moment, God wants to talk to you. Maybe it'll be in a feeling, maybe in a thought, maybe in an image. Whatever it might be, let's not rush past the burning bush. Let's wait long enough to see that it's not just on fire, but it's not burning up. Come on, for 10, 20 seconds, why don't you just wait on him? What are, you, what are you tending in your life? When you have a spare moment, what does your attention go to? What is your mind drawn towards? What do you mull over? Where are there spaces in your life for space, for thought, for pondering, for tending? And what are you planting? You know, you're not gonna find, or at least I haven't found, that space for tending, space for pondering, space for contemplation with God just appears on its own. And so what decisions are you planting in your life? What decisions are you making before you need to decide? Sowing into your own life. And finally, let's resist thinking of this as, as our own little garden, our own little piece of the world that we control. We do this together. On the top of their garden, there, there might be clearly defined plots, but underneath the earth and the soil, it's all interconnected. The roots are, inter roots are intertwined. We follow Jesus for ourselves, but we do not follow Jesus on our own. Matariki is a reminder for us together that we together fill the storehouse. And so as you are planting and as we're tending, maybe ask yourself, how do we do this together? As heads are bowed, his eyes are closed, I'd love to pray for us. And the band's gonna lead us in a moment of worship. God, we thank you that you are the God of the harvest. God, that you are the God of seed time and you are the God of harvest. That today as we take a moment to, to lift our gaze, and I pray even maybe this evening we'll take the moment to go outside and to let the splendor of your creation draw our attention to you afresh. But in this moment, as we turn our attention to you, as we remember who you are, what you've done and what you continue to do, would we embrace the reality that, that we are a part of something here? That even as your creation reminds us, Matariki Manaka Nui, that the things that are in our life are something that we have input and control over, that we can sow into our lives, that we can plant our wishes, our desires, our decisions. In what areas, maybe even this moment halfway through the year, as the intentions of the new year have well and truly faded? Can we plant afresh? Remind ourselves afresh, this is who I wanna be, this is who God's calling me to be, this is what I'm gonna pre-decide. And where can we tend to you? To simply encounter you without agenda, without aiming to get anything from you, simply reminding ourselves that the best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. 
God, I pray as we worship you in this moment that you would encounter us in a way that far surpasses our expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.